Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. Welcome to the 2020 year-end special of Channel Journeys. This is it, the final week of 2020. Holy cow, what a year. This is Rob Spee, your host and channel enthusiast. Thanks so much for listening. I decided to sneak in one more show in 2020 when my top guest of all time, Jay McBain, agreed to join me to chat about what the heck happened in 2020 and what new chaos we can expect in the channel in 2021. There are some really exciting things coming our way in the channel, and you need to be prepared. And speaking of being prepared, can your PRM rise to the challenge you and your partners are facing in this rapidly changing world? If not, be sure to check out Magentrix, the sponsor of Channel Journeys, and the speed and cost of ownership are two key factors when choosing a PRM. Magentrix scores big on both fronts. I've been diving deeper into the capabilities of Magentrix, and I'm super impressed by the functionality that comes included out of the box at no extra charge. And Magentrix has full-blown bi-directional integration with Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics, and even HubSpot. I had their portal wizard, Paul Bird, on this show a few episodes back, and I just heard him talk more about PRM on the Partnernomics podcast. That's well worth a listen. And stay tuned. At the end of this show, I'll tell you more about a special offer on Magendrix. All right. Are you ready for some year-end fun with Jay McBain? Let's go. Hey, Jay McBain. Welcome back again to the Channel Journeys podcast. Great to have you on the show again. Well, thank you for having me back. You are very welcome. Where do we find you hunkered down? Are you uh, in the Florida paradise? I'm in uh, Florida, a Canadian living in Florida paradise, uh, getting used to this 80 degree weather in the middle of December. Yeah, I loved putting up the Christmas lights when I lived in Florida and you'd be wearing your shorts and sunglasses putting up the Christmas lights. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was out uh, cycling on the weekend thinking uh, as the ocean was on one side of me and the intercoastal was on the other and going, you know, I remember, uh, you know, shoveling during these times. So yeah, it's, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, let's rub it in for the listeners up north who have like three hours of daylight about now. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back to the show. Really looking forward to chatting with you. And I want to talk about two things. One is kind of looking back at this crazy year of 2020. I had you on the show about a year ago, and you made some predictions about what we thought we'd see in the channel. Of course, we didn't see COVID coming by any means at that time, which really turned things on their head. So let's chat a little bit about what did transpire in 2020, and then uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what's coming next year. This is my end of the year special. You, this is the new thing on Channel Journeys. We have an end of the year special, and, and you're the first guest to, to try it out. Nice. And uh, you're asking about predictions. I did not predict the pandemic. I did not predict pandemonium. I did not predict murder hornets. Like I, I don't know if I got any of 2020 right, but we'll try to do better for next year. We might give you a pass, Jay. You should have seen those things coming, but we'll give you a pass. That's right. <laughs> well, let's start on the positive note. What did take place in 2020 that you, you were expecting a year ago? Yeah, it's interesting. Most of the predictions I made uh, out of the 10 that I made in December, most of them actually came true and actually accelerated because of COVID. Interesting. And so there was a number of things that I tend to look you know, 18 months out. 
And, you know, the things on my horizon are very impactful, let's say three to five years from now, but Mm -hmm. start to make an impact. And let's say in the next 18 months, go from, you know, single digits to double digits, where it goes from the back of your mind or falls off your top 10 list of, you know, things that you're going to get fired for next week, and then moves on to what should be a part of your 2021 planning and, and things like that. So, you know, one thing that we've been studying is the new buyer. And I mentioned on our last podcast and in the predictions that, you know, the new buyer of technology, the new buyer looks a lot like a consumer based on a lot of the research we do at at Forrester. And well, guess what? During COVID, during uh, this year, things like marketplaces grew more in three months than they did in the last 10 years combined. So a lot of this consumer behavior and these consumer buying journeys And these digital-only journeys turning into vendor selection, we thought would start to make more of an impact. Well, that was put on steroids in 2020. And if you're not selling digitally, if you're not selling socially, if you're not re-looking at your early customer digital moments, you're now losing deals without ever knowing there was a deal. So that was one major change. Big announcement, Jay. I'm pleased to announce from OutSystems, where I work, we just got on the AWS marketplace. So we just made it in before the end of the year. Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, when we look at marketplaces, you know, growing more in three months than 10 years combined, you know, one third of the U.S. economy overall is is going through e-commerce marketplaces. 83% of the growth, by the way, is marketplaces. Wow. There's a delineation between ecosystems true e-commerce and and what a marketplace is. And, you know, for the amount of Amazon boxes that we have stacked out our front door right now that we haven't picked up yet, there is a difference there. But, you know, about a month ago, I predicted 20 winning marketplaces to start really taking hold in 2021 and beyond. And AWS obviously is a, a leader on the infrastructure side. Obviously, Azure, which is growing by 48%, which was announced last week inside of COVID, 47% last quarter inside of COVID is unbelievable growth in a world where traditional computer infrastructure is down by 17 and telco infrastructure is down by 16. We've never had a 70% delta between low performing categories and high performing categories. And that's another output of what has happened during COVID as as customers have really re-looked at their buying and made specific investments in certain places. And and we can talk about what those places are. What about the channel itself, Jay? I remember one of your predictions was that the channel would be shrinking or maybe a segment of the channel would be shrinking. Did that pan out and did COVID accelerate that in any way? Yeah, I've made a couple of calls on on growth. One is that today, the three and a half trillion dollars that businesses and governments spend on technology, 64% of those dollars transact through the channel. Mm-hmm. And when I say channel, it's a broad scope and there's 16 different kinds of technology partners that are maybe a part of those transactions. But I made a prediction that that 64%, which has been growing for 39 years since August the 12th, 1981, when the first IBM PC was launched and kind of the first technology channel, IT channel that, that we know of today was, was created. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always grown. And I made a prediction that we were plateauing And based on a number of different factors, i.e. marketplaces, looking at ecosystems, looking at the evolution of the channel and the modern buyer and things like that, I said that that was probably going to plateau in 2020 and start to decline over the next decade, each year for the next decade. It's not that the fact that it's going down because it's still growing, 
It's just other parts of the market that are growing faster will overtake that. So let me give you an example. When I look at the broader technology market, if you look at technology, computer infrastructure, you know, the PCs, the servers, the storage, the networking, you know, about 80% of that flows through the channel and, and has for decades. And you look at Cisco results, you look at traditional Microsoft results, and you look at results across the board, HP and, and Lenovo and IBM and stuff, they're all in that range. So when I just mentioned that that business is down by about 17% uh, outside of a you know, quick growth around PCs and some remote work stuff, but overall that, that business is down. When I jump over to the other side of the ledger, when I talk about Azure being up by 48 or Google Cloud being up by 45, some of the major SaaS companies like Salesforce and ServiceNow and Workday and Marketo and NetSuite, all up you know, 30%. When I look at those side of the multi-cloud hybrid cloud world, only about 20 to 30% of that is sold through the channel. A lot of it is actually partner assisted and there are partners involved in every part of that deal. It's just the money doesn't change hands that way. And so comparing a world that we've come from where you know, 80% of the world goes that way to 20 to 30% means that the overall direct numbers or e-commerce numbers or marketplace numbers are going to start driving that 64% downwards. And guess what? Here's a prediction that not only came true, uh, but is accelerated. I expect that 64% to be lower uh, for 2020 when we end in a few weeks and then lower again in 2021. And that impacts the channel and the role the channel plays. You talked about the trifurcation of the channel last year. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So we saw, you know, as I, I looked in, I inspected new partners into the channel. Every company in every industry is becoming a technology company. We know that. Every services company in every industry is becoming a technology services firm. You know, we know today that 81% of accounting and CPA firms are doing tech services. We know that 78% of digital agencies are now doing tech services. So every industry is kind of moving in. And as we started looking at it, you know, these are not partners that are resellers or VARs or managed service providers, the way they, they transact. They get involved at different parts of the customer journey. So we ended up breaking it into three uh, for the prediction, which was this early journey, this early digital journey. Who are the influencers? And there's different business models there. They get paid referral fees or finders fees. They could be affiliates. They could be ambassadors. They could be advocates. They could be affinity type of partners. There's lots of different networks there. There could be ISVs there. There could be consultants. But in the end, they're highly influential to the point of vendor selection but they don't stick around for the actual transaction. They may come back post-transaction because as everything moves into a subscription model, there's a lot of opportunity post-transaction for them again to earn very profitable revenue against some of that influence that they invested in. So that's the first part of the customer journey up until vendor selection. And there's a whole channel there waiting to be recruited by vendors. Obviously, the transaction channel has been around, again, almost four decades. We know a lot about it. We run gold, silver, bronze programs. There's not a lot of innovation that goes into the incentives, the motivation, the loyalty, the co-selling. The There's a lot that goes in there, but it's pretty well known how to you know, use those levers and dials. Well, here's the interesting thing that I, again, predicted last year, that obviously subscription and consumption models will start to take hold. And guess what's happened in the last 30 to 60 days? You have IBM that split up its company. 
And I worked there during the 1990s for 17 years while Lou Gerstner built this 450,000 person services company. Well, that was jettisoned. And now IBM is 100% subscription consumption based. It's an AI slash cloud company with its acquisition of Red Hat. A couple of weeks before that, Michael Dell announced that all of Dell Technologies, all seven companies would be going full subscription consumption. That's VMware, that's EMC, that's everything down the, down the line. A week before that, Chuck Robbins at Cisco announced the same thing. Because of COVID, 100% of Cisco would be going uh, subscription. And then we know that HPE has been on this journey for three years. They came and said they'll be fully there by 2022. Less than 13 months from now, you know, you've got a massive organization over there that's only going to sell in a 30-day subscription model. So all of this legacy that I talked about has moved. And you know, for many resellers, 80% of their current sales kind of fall into these major company categories that now won't be these million-dollar sales, but will be you know, 30-day renewals forever. Mm-hmm. Right. That's one of the biggest changes is that all the big companies have announced this and so therefore, that point after transaction, this trifurcation, the third part of the channel is this retention channel. Mm-hmm. So now I need partners that can drive adoption because if my products are adopted, I get renewals and retention. I need partners that can integrate and make my product more sticky in the customer environment. This, just is a, this isn't technology only. This is all industries. The more sticky my product is, you know, they can't unplug it. So I get a customer for life. And then third... I need partners there every 30 days forever, cross-selling and upselling to enrich my contract, you know, every 30 days. So I've got these three very different parts of the channel. And in 2020, we saw major vendors, and, and I'm counting in the hundreds of vendors now that have announced these trifurcated programs. They call them publicly build, sell, and service. They don't call them, you know, trifurcated. They don't call them influence channels or retention channels. That's kind of behind the scenes, but publicly you either build, sell, or service with these major firms. And I can expect upwards of 10,000 different vendors to have these trifurcated programs. Another thing that was accelerated because of COVID. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and COVID really did accelerate that whole transformation. What impact do you think is it having, if you look at the, the small business today that are getting killed by the Amazons. Is that happening in the channel as well? You know, and I'm talking about, you know, Amazon marketplace, all traditional goods, the traditional small mom and pop stores have got even more killed than than usual through COVID by being forced to shut down. Are you seeing any of that type of impact in the channel itself? Maybe not from a forced shutdown, but just all these transformations. Yeah, we were measuring that all through the first stages of COVID and, and making predictions, but The fact of the matter is in 2019, fourth quarter, when we were living in the best of times, you know, unemployment at record lows, stock markets at record highs, you know, globally, we were just on an absolute roll. You had 25% of MSPs, which happens to be, by the way, the more profitable, more forward-looking business model in the channel. A quarter of them were losing money in the best of times. And that's concerning. So we we thought that that probably jumped up to around 50% of the entire channel, 50,000 MSPs. We're struggling to break even, you know, in the throes of COVID. And you had a, a big response because, you know, for all the people in the industry and the vendors, and everything else living through 2008, there was a lot of capital and credit facilities brought in. So distributors and the big vendors and everyone else did their best to accelerate payments, to 
shorten you know net 30 and net 60 windows of getting paid and accelerate incentives and basically provide a little bit of cushion you had the government come in and provide some stimulus around you know checks and and PPP and, and other things so and around the world you had different stimulus bills and the US right now is working on another one uh, but the fact of the matter all these things were impactful and they lessened the blunt force of you know upwards of you know 50% of partners out there you know struggling in in these environments and it's forced for partners this idea of again this not the end of resale but resale only becoming a component of your business if you're not looking to the left of the transaction that early journey or if you're looking to the right of the journey here's one of the predictions that we made that's coming true that will be a big impact in 2021 is what i call the multiplier effect vendors are getting better at re shaping their communication to the channel. And in the past, it's always been, hey, you can make 20% front-end margin, you can make 3 to 5% back-end margin, here's your volume rebates, here's your MDF funds, you know, here's what it looks like economically to work with us. Well, vendors are re-looking at this and talking about this multiplier number. You know, for years now, Salesforce has talked about a $4.65 multiplier in their economy. So if you buy a dollar, a customer buys a dollar of their CRM or their marketing or their customer experience cloud, there is $4.65 open to get it to work. 64% of that's professional services. They take it to the second decimal point, the implementation, the integration, the security, the compliance, the data, the continuity, all the things that need to be done. And really from a, a support perspective, as well as a training perspective helps partners skill up, build out the practices, and drive the um, capabilities they need, as well as the content and the messaging and the buyer and all of this really good pathway or, or roadmap to go earn that money. So as a partner in that environment, I can go earn $2 for every dollar that the vendor earns. And today that is about 75% margin. So a few weeks ago, Google Cloud came out with theirs at $5.32. And they, again, break it down into you know, granular detail, how much is hardware, software, and how much is services, what those services are, and how you're successful in that environment. What's interesting is five years from now, that goes up to $7.80. So we never used to talk about total cost of ownership. We never you used to always keep this hidden. But these are now you know, major companies that are actually talking about the ecosystem opportunity. And the smart partners are obsessing over these pie charts. Mm -hmm. Where can I go earn a dollar, two dollars, three dollars for every dollar my vendor earns? How can I position this? How can I, you know, drive this as a repeatable, scalable part of my business? And then how can I go and, and be as profitable as my vendor or more profitable than my vendor and earn more revenue than them? That's a completely different conversation than earning 20% of the deal and maybe a little bit of a kickback on the back end. How do you see that changing or impacting the partner programs? You know, as, as we're designing partner programs for 21, what should people be thinking about? From what you're describing, there's kind of the high importance on the influencer side on the left and the retention services multiplier on the right, but much less emphasis on the transaction middle component. Yeah. So I've got two words, peanut butter. <laughs> so there is no margin. There is no more margin to be had from a vendor perspective. If you go ask your CFO to say that, you know, I'm going to take, you know, my current channel gross to nets from this to this, they're going to say no. 
So as a partner and as a vendor, I'm looking at this and going, there is a certain level of money available, whatever that front and back end margin is today in a transactional model. That's it. So that money is going to have to be spread like peanut butter to the left of the transaction to fund that influence part of the journey, which is absolutely critical now in that my buyers are going there because of COVID accelerating, you know, going there and looking a lot like consumers. If I don't move money to the left, I'm not going to have any transactions to fund. And then on the flip side, I got to, I got to spread that to the right. So because the transaction is now only the first 30 days with the customer, I need the funding of the transaction to be, you know, relevant to that importance of that trifurcated part of the journey. One third of the money I used to spend is now going to be spent for that first 30 days. One third of the money should be spent before the point of transaction and even vendor selection. And now one third should be spent after driving adoption, driving stickiness and integrations, driving cross-sell and upsell forever, every 30 days forever. So you should always be thinking about spreading this across the entire customer journey inside your program. And partners need to know where that money is so that they can go and earn it. That's really interesting. I just went through this exercise of spreading the peanut butter with our finance guy, and he built out a whole model for me to do this. Um, but tell us again, what's the, the spread? One third should be in the influencer, that pre-buy, pre-transaction section? Yeah. And there's a problem there is in the channel technology that you use and the processes and the programs and even the people mm-hmm. that have done this for years and if not decades, don't have the skills to do this. That early journey is wrapped around something called attribution. And attribution is a consumer marketing term. So I publish every year the channel software tech stack. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to see this movement of consumer marketing companies, MarTech companies, moving into our space. So names like Impact and Partnerize, who basically built the software for Kim Kardashian. So if you were a consumer company and you got Kim and paid her a million dollars to do an Instagram ad, you'd want to make sure that you got a return for that million dollars. There's no direct way to do that because Kim doesn't sell your product. You had to attribute the success of that social media campaign up against your revenue. Yeah. Collect all the breadcrumbs and do some very, you know, kind of inaccurate scientific stuff to attribute. And guess what? All of that's now moving to B2B. Impact raised 75 million, Partnerize raised 50 million. There's all kinds of companies now coming into this influence part of the channel because your PRM solution or your through channel marketing solution today in the channel doesn't do this. So I'm not going to spread to everybody like peanut butter. I'm going to spread to the most influential people in that early journey. And when I'm influencing the influencers, I'm going to go where the biggest bang for the buck is. So who are my Kim Kardashians in my business? To my buyer, in my industries I serve, in the geographies I serve, in the sector segment and size of businesses that I serve, in the product areas that I serve, and obviously through the channel business models that I serve. Those six vectors become those influencers that are going to earn the money that you are spending in that early journey. I'm not just going to give everybody, you know, 20 bucks and hope for the best. I'm going to run little, you know, mini Kim Kardashian campaigns through these super connectors. And that's where I'm going to drive home. The vendors who do this the best are going to be the winners over the next decade. 
Yeah, I remember, you know, I think it was our first podcast interview. You were telling me about how you you developed your own, I think, in Excel, the Kim Kardashian influencer tracker. But are you saying the software that's out there is coming to the channel that, that will do this for you? It is. And there's an interesting thing happening also in 2020 is around privacy. So all, of all the marketing software that's out there, the 8,000 logos on that MarTech stack that Scott Brinker does, a lot of them are reliant on digital breadcrumbs. In other words, tracking across the internet of the things that you do as you're out looking at sailboats and as you're out doing things, they they built a pretty strong persona about you. Well, guess what? Companies like Apple, if you're using their devices and their Safari browser, are basically cutting all of that away. So you're be, you're going to be able to be more anonymous on the internet. And you know, other browsers and other companies like Google and others are slowly following the lead of Apple to basically create a different experience. And this is for a consumer as well as a B2B. So in a world where I can't track breadcrumbs and I can't build personas and I can't, you know, I don't have visibility to that very important digital journey, I'm going to have to invest more in the people that wrap around that digital journey. The average business technology buyer will use five different people as influencers. They're the ones that write the eBooks and record the podcasts and sit on the board of the associations, keynote the big events, are in the front cover of the magazine that they read. These are the people that are influential to them going from, I have a problem to here's the seven layer vendor stack to solve my problem. Getting obsessed around those five people that wrap around one of your prospects will become really the only way to influence the influencers without any of these other kind of marketing you know, technologies. So I think that that's another, you know, here's a prediction for 2021 and beyond. The battleground for the future is the battle for who are those five chairs around every one of your buyers. Mm-hmm. The problem is there's 35 million permutations to that. <laughs> and it's that- chaos there. It's going to be a different five people every single time. And your ability to predict who those five people are and hopefully one, two, or three of them know who you are and can pull you out of a lineup. Number two, know enough to be dangerous, you know, up to a 30-second elevator pitch. And number three, will endorse you at the right time. Yeah. But when the customer reaches vendor selection, which they do in a majority of cases today, without ever talking to a salesperson or filling out a web form with the correct information, they're going to land at vendor selection with you as part of the seven-layer cake. This is fascinating. You know, this is why we love working in the channel because there's always a new challenge. And this this sounds like a huge one. It's going to be fascinating to see over the course of next year, the conferences and things, what people are talking about and how they're starting to solve for this problem. Yeah, it's a battle royale. <laughs> battle royale. Very cool. All right. What's another prediction for 21 now that we've kind of moved into that segment? Yeah. So we talked about new buyers. We talked about marketplaces. You know, we made a prediction that marketplaces would make up 17% of our industry you know, e-commerce by 2023, based on the growth during COVID, that might happen next year. So all of us, when we're creating, you just mentioned getting on AWS. Yeah. I think there's 19 other marketplaces that you have to strongly consider for 2021. Name a few of those. We can think of AWS, Azure, Google, the big ones. What are other platforms that you're looking at? So you're going to have to think about it in categories. So one is there's a hyper marketplaces. So both, you know, Amazon and Alibaba, you know, they have Amazon for business. Mm-hmm. So there might be a chance that, you know, during those hyper marketplaces that you might participate both in AWS and Amazon for business, kind of a different mm-hmm. way to think about 
Right. Obviously, Microsoft and Google, when you're thinking about the infrastructure stack, when you think about the big SaaS companies, like one of the leaders is Salesforce and the App Exchange. You know, they just acquired Slack. Uh, they've, you know, acquired Tableau and MuleSoft, and they're on the Dow 30 now. They're valued more than Oracle. I mean, they're obviously going to be a major, major player in the next decade. You know, Wall Street already thinks of them as a, you know, the next trillion dollar company behind the big fang, you know, big five. So that's one. You think of ServiceNow and Workday and Marketo and NetSuite, and you could probably rip through the top 10 SaaS companies and start thinking about their marketplaces. If it's a product fit with you as a vendor, you're going to have to have your own internal marketplace strategy as well as an external one. And you've got to figure out where your customers are going to be. They may not be on a Salesforce app exchange. They could be in a more traditional marketplace like an IBM, SAP, Oracle, Adobe, you know, marketplace. So out of the 20 winning marketplaces, we already know who, you know, 18 or 19 of them are going to be for the next decade that probably collect 80% of the winnings that come out of marketplace, the 17% of three and a half trillion dollars. If we already know who 80% of that winning is going to be, you have to decide and every channel chief is going to have to decide for their own organization as a routes to market, go to market conversation, where do they fit and where are their customers going to be and how do they compete on a marketplace? Because that's an indirect sale, by the way, it still fits in that channel 64% model, but it's a different engineering there. You have to get on the marketplace. You have to, you know, have a listing that's, you know, successful. You have to look at marketplace SEO. So just like Google in a marketplace, you have to get on page one to be part of that seven layer, you know, cake to be part of that customer's digital journey as they're on a marketplace, you have to be in the conversation. Partners have to be in on that conversation. Other software companies, other hardware companies, all the seven layers of the cake are competing in that front page, first page of marketplace results to be part of that conversation for one of those 35 million permutations of customers. So the integrations that are necessary, the community plays inside of those. So now that you're in AWS, understanding what people in that market read, where they go, the hundred super connectors that they follow, AWS is a whole separate conversation from Microsoft, from Google, from Salesforce, from SAP, from Oracle. Those could all be 20 different conversations around succeeding in a marketplace-led ecosystem. You're entering another galaxy and you know who the center star is. You've got to kind of figure out who the other planets are and how you're going to participate to make sure that you win in that ecosystem. Yeah, that's a great point. We've got to figure out how do we... How do we succeed in that AWS galaxy, that whole new ecosystem? And a lot of channel professionals come out of a transactional world. So, you know, this isn't a gold, silver, bronze program. It's not setting up onboarding and education. It's not setting up incentive programs. It's not setting up sales enablement. This is a new world, which might fit more in the alliance world. You know, for those alliance professionals that are used to measuring things differently, not by sales, revenue, profit, customer set. They measure things in three ways. They measure it by value creation. They measure one plus one equals three in front of the customer. They measure alliances and ecosystems by the network effect. By joining AWS and getting into the community, what is your aperture now? How wide is it and how do you participate in that larger network effect to, to benefit both, both sides? And then number three, it's the co-innovation. You know, today there's 175,000 software companies 
up from 10,000 10 years ago, but it's going to be a million 10 years from now. So there's 825,000 new products that are going to be built in the next 10 years. And you're going to build some of them. Your partners are going to build some of them. AWS is going to build some of them. But figuring out how one plus one equals five in a co-innovation world and how that collaboration takes place, how that joint development takes place, how the revenue share takes place, these are not skills that traditional channel leaders have. And so the head of ecosystems, you might be surprised, may not be the channel chief out of the gate. Who do you think it might be? Well, first and foremost, the people with the skills, I think it might be the head of alliances, which today is buried somewhere deep in the organization. <laughs> but, but they understand the non-transactional channel model. Yeah. They understand influence a bit better. They understand influencing the influencers when you're working, trying to get field sales teams to align and, and to go after a, a goal. And you know, I think 83% of all alliances fail. So they're pretty good with handling rejection. <laughs> yeah. But in the end, an alliance is a long-term thing. You think of repeating every 30 days forever and going after goals that aren't as hard-coded, like revenue and profit. You're going after goals that are a bit you know, more mushy and managing things like co-innovation and value creation and network effects is non-linear. And that might be you know, someone. There's also going to be some marketing people in there. As I mentioned, attribution and, and some of these things. There's skills in here that we're going to have to build a new pod and you're going to have to have a leader that leads that transactional model. You're going to have to have a leader that leads the influence you know, before the vendor selection. That's probably a marketing professional that understands attribution. And then you're going to have a leader that you know, understands the long-term retention and renewal in a subscription model. And that's likely an alliance leader. But overall, it'll be an interesting who the, the winner is from a boardroom perspective. Last thing I'll say is Accenture did a big piece of research and 76% of CEOs in the world, every company, every industry, every geography, every size, 76% think that their current business model will be unrecognizable in five years and ecosystems are the number one reason why. Hmm. Interesting. That will be in the boardroom. There will be a chief ecosystems. It won't be CEO, it'll be something. <laughs> that role will sit in the boardroom and the transactional channel part of it will report probably into through that role. What do you think this all means for our friends, the channel account manager, the you know the CAMs, the the traditional channel manager? What what do you think their role is going to look like next year? Is it is it morphing as well? Yeah, I wrote a piece and I made a prediction about you know channel managers becoming community managers. And you know we talked about salespeople becoming digital sellers and, and social sellers. We talked about marketing people becoming digital marketing. Well, what does a digital cam look like? What a digital cam is, and we already have these people in our industry, and I've already you know, listed the top 100 of them publicly. We have people that understand the communities that partners are in. One definition of an ecosystem from where you are today, maybe having a transactional channel, is it's 10 times larger. So you can't just go hire 10 times more cams. They're not going to be managed in the same way. And so a good channel account manager is going to understand from a territory perspective. For example, if you manage MSPs, you're going to understand that there's 50,000 of them globally. They read 54 magazines. They listen to 64 podcasts. They go to 150 events. They're a member of 24 different associations. There's 99 LinkedIn groups. There's 25 Facebook groups. There's a really strong subreddit slash MSP. There are peer groups. There are vendor communities. There's distributor communities. All that entire map is communities. There's about 31 communities in the world that MSPs get influenced by. The best of the best 
are people that are crisscrossing all 31 of those communities and are visible every single day. The leader, the last time I did it, was Rob Ray from Datto. And I don't think there's an MSP on the planet that hasn't spoken to Rob Ray at some point in a hotel hallway or lobby bar at some point in time. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Datto, without a lot of marketing and without a lot of sales, and their only route to market was through MSPs, became a public company, you know, three weeks ago, and are now worth $4 billion. So if you think community marketing doesn't work, you can watch some of these multi-billion dollar unicorns like ConnectWise as well, who only do community marketing. And they don't have, you know, traditional, you know, Super Bowl ads or any kind of traditional advertising. It's all through community work. And the successful cam of the future will, you know, you probably have 10 dedicated accounts like you have in the past, but the time in which you spend your day and how you influence the influencers, how you become one of those top 100 people in your territory, in your communities becomes all important. And how you flip between podcasts, keynotes, magazines, associations, vendor, distributor communities, peer groups, social groups, how you spend your day and how you become visible and carry your brand, your company to be visible every day in front of your target audience is going to be the measure of success in CAMs in the future. That's fascinating, Jay. So you're saying if if a CAM wants to see what their role could look like and should look like going forward, this this community role, look at Rob Ray and how he's done that in the MSP world. He's a he's a kind of a shining light for what they could aspire to. Yeah, and as a CAM, I would go ask my company some hard questions. You know, there's 35 million potential, you know, channels that we could go and recruit and 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 nourish. But tell me these, you know, five answers. What buyer or set of buyers are we really, really focused on? Because there's channels attached to that. Mm-hmm. What geography do we want to really go into? It could be at the state, province level. It could be at the country level, you know, in Europe and Asia. Where specifically? Don't tell me 197 countries. Tell me in 2021 where we want to grow and double our business. Number three, you know, tell me the industry, but even better, tell me one of the 297 sub-industries. Don't just tell me we're going into healthcare. Tell me that, you know, 50 doctor mid-sized clinics is really where we want to grow next year. You know, give me direction. Give me direction around the sector size and segment of the customer. Don't tell me we want to win all people, all things, all the time. You know, if we want to win, you know, 499 employee companies in this sub-industry, in this geography, I will build you a channel and I'll use a community approach to go win that. Mm-hmm. And then, in, you know, there's 200 different product categories. So I know that channels are somewhat attached to what they offer, the value they offer. So if you can help narrow down those vectors for me, I can go in and figure out what they read and where they go. I can double click through all that and figure out who's on the front cover of those magazines and who's doing the keynotes and podcasts and association boards. I can score all those people and I can bring you back a list of a hundred people that need to pick us out of a lineup, police lineup that need enough to be dangerous, the 30 second elevator pitch. And if I could get enough of them endorsing us, I could double our business if you just provide me direction on where to go. Because again, we're, we're not going to do all things to all people. And as a CAM, I need to be laser focused on where the company wants me to go. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, as always, Jay, there's there's so much packed into that. I can't wait to, to play this back and, and listen to it over again. And you've got so many great... Uh, recommendations for us there. Let's switch a little bit. How about for for Jay, your predictions for yourself next year? You love to travel. 
and this is not a great environment right now for for traveling. What's what's the future hold for you and and your family for adventure next year? Yeah, we've been to uh, 95 countries, and the plan was to hit 100 in 2020. And right now, we would have just been leaving for South America to get on a cruise through Antarctica. Oh. Man. So we had Christmas through the first part of January planned in Antarctica with penguins. And you know, I thought that penguins didn't carry COVID, so it would have been a nice, safe place. But I think there's only four countries left that will let Americans in right now. Oh, how disappointing. That's off. And by the way, Antarctica, you can only go for two weeks out of the year, and then it's frozen over. So um, we have to delay that trip for a full calendar year, like January of 2022, and it's just because of that time window. So. I don't think, and, and my wife is high risk, so we're definitely you know, sheltered in place and everything else. Uh, I don't think I'll be getting on an airplane for at least six to nine months. Oh, man. So you know, I don't know of any industry events that are happening in the first couple of quarters. There's a couple like channel partners that have started to make announcements after Labor Day. Assuming the vaccinations start in a couple of weeks here and that the general population can go through the summertime, uh, that might be a reality. But given everything else we've known about COVID and, and the things that have happened, I would um, not be making big traveling plans globally for 2021 at this point. Well, if you if you get serious about taking that catamaran across the ocean, you're just going to have to sail back too because yes. <laughs> you're going to fly back. <laughs> well, that's the 16-year view of my world. I got to get my younger children into college and my older ones are in college right now. And it gives me time to save up for one of these uh, really expensive cats and we will take off from Florida and go up to the Rock of Gibraltar. And if everybody loves it, we'll just keep going and uh, <laughs> turn around. Yeah, well, you can podcast from your catamaran around the globe. That'll be fun. Yeah, and hopefully uh, you can come with us or uh, we can somehow be uh, uh, joined through that uh, journey. I'll be ready. I'll be ready, Jay. Well, thanks so much, Jay, for joining us on this end of year special. We talked about what hit us this year, what to expect next year. Really enjoyed it and look forward to next year because it's got to be better than this year, right? That's true. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Jay. Take care. You too. Bye. All right, guys. There you go. Thank you, Jay, for another fascinating interview. And thank you for listening to Channel Journeys. This completes my second year of this podcast. I'm thrilled to have over 15,000 downloads of the show, and I'd love to continue growing the audience next year. So please share this show with your colleagues and channel friends. Get it out there. Let them know about all the great episodes where they can learn a lot more about the channel. If you're in the market to implement or upgrade your PRM next year, be sure to check out Magentrix. And here's that special offer I promised you. Check out Magentrix at Magentrix.com. And if you decide to try them out, you can get two months free on an annual contract, two free months by using the discount code SPEEPOD20. Use SPEEPOD20 when you sign up. All right, guys, that is a wrap for Channel Journeys 2020. Happy New Year. I want to wish all of you a very happy and fulfilling 2021. Hang on to your seats. I'm sure it's going to be a wild ride. I'll see you next year when we're going to have one awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.